All right, back to Matthew chapter 25. We're just going to jump right back in and uh, we'll just do a very, 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 very quick review. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46 is the text that is presented to us today in the historical lectionary because this is Christ the King uh, Sunday. You could see possibly why they picked this passage for Christ the King Sunday because Matthew 25, 31 begins, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and shall all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. So you can see why this would be picked for Christ the King Sunday, because it shows him on a throne in his glory, ruling and reigning to to some way, shape, or form, bringing judgment, as we've already read Matthew 25, 31 through 46 in the last hour. We we know this is a passage about judgment. So, we have read the passage, and we realize that this is a passage about judgment, and it's a judgment upon, it appears, nations, and it's a judgment based upon works, what they have or haven't done. And so we took a few minutes in the last hour to establish that there's a number of ways of interpreting Matthew 25, 31 through 46. The first way that has been introduced in church history to interpret it is that Matthew 25, 31 through 46 speaks of a judgment that occurred somehow in some way in 70 AD, obviously in a very figurative way and not a very literal way, but it, it, well, I just have a hard time with that. So one is, it, this is a past judgment. It happened in 70 AD. It's done. The second way is that it's a future judgment, but it's a future judgment specifically on the apostles because it's going to judge the apostles and how they care for the church. The only problem with that is then you would have the possibility of losing salvation, right? Losing salvation. Okay, so that would be a possible problem there. Obviously, that view that this is a judgment upon the apostles shows up, I'm not going to say everywhere within Catholicism, but it's definitely present within Catholicism, all right? So those are two views. The third view is this is a judgment upon the nations, right? And this is a a judgment upon the nations and how they have treated Israel, or it's a judgment upon the nations and how they've treated believers, And then lastly, this is a judgment upon everyone in some general way. And then there's two ways of handling that. That there's a judgment on works because the works prove, well, the works either have something to do with rewards or loss of reward. And we have a problem with that because this seems to say this is a judgment not about rewards, but a judgment about, yeah, eternal life or hell, right? So the second way of approaching this, if it's a judgment on generally on everyone about works, then that the works prove you're saved. And we've talked about all the problems with that. And third, it's a judgment on everyone that requires works, but those works are provided to us through Jesus Christ, all right? That's a very brief, 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 very quick review of everything that we've looked at. Please go listen to part one for a further discussion on all of it, all right? So, what we started doing is we're like, okay, those are all the approaches to the text. If we're honest with ourselves, none of them are truly satisfying, and all of them have some possible problems, yes? So then we kind of set those aside, and we started doing what? Basically, an observational exercise working through the text. So, what have we found so far? Well, let's start in verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory... We thought, well, at least according to one source, 
that the, the word there, come, seems to possibly reference a king coming back to a territory which he has conquered to now set up his throne. That would have been very helpful because we felt that would allow us to connect it to Revelation 19, Revelation 20, which may give us some idea of the timing of this judgment. The only problem is that Greek word that's translated come there has literally nothing to do with that. It just means what? To show up, to come, to arrive, to 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 appear. And so that's not super helpful. All right, everyone agree that's not super helpful? All right, so we, we looked at that. The next thing we looked at, um, see Matthew 25, well, at least according to the commentary written by Sarah Danzler, the idea that he comes with his angels, we thought that that was possibly important. Why? Because that could connect it to Revelation 19, because Jesus comes out of heaven with a sword, with the army of heaven, which so we, we think would be re- referenced to angels. And then that uh, he comes with the angels, and then what happens? And he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. We think that that may fit or connect possibly with Revelation chapter 20. So between angels and throne, we think we still possibly can connect it to Revelation 19 and 20. And the reason that is important is that possibly gives us the timing. Does that make sense? It gives us the timing. We're not completely convinced, but it at least is an attempt. Then we started looking at verse 32. And before him, the son of man, shall be gathered all the nations. And what Greek word, Greek word is that uh, taken from? Ethnos, which refers to an ethnic group, ethnicity, right? And primarily, it seems to be a reference to Gentile nations. Not always, but it seems primarily to be a reference to Gentile nations. So then this could possibly give us a clue that this is going to be a judgment upon Gentile nations based on how they treated Israel, we think. Now, we haven't proven that, but we'll go a little bit further, all right? So that's our observation so far. Everybody okay with our observations? All right. And before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Now we have the idea of sheep and goats. This is a common occurrence in the Bible, right? Now I'm not saying this is going to prove to be helpful because I have not done this exercise yet, but grab a Bible dictionary. Let's look up the word sheep. Let's look up the word goats. Now we know that part of the entry is going to deal with what? Actual sheep and actual goats, right? So skip, so as you're, as you're skimming it, skip that part and see how the word sheep and the word goats are possibly used in a different way. Um, one of you look up sheep, the other one look up goats, and then we'll see what you find. I'll let you see what you find. And I'll grab a different Bible dictionary just to offer us some, that's not a different Bible dictionary. Is this a different Bible dictionary? Maybe my other. You tell me what you find. And if you find something great, if you don't, at least we took the time to explore this. 
okay? Now you look up animals of the Bible and see then if that... Well, still, still look up the, that reference and see if they offer anything other than the, the animal concept here. All right, I'm going to, I knew I had the other dictionary around here somewhere. Let's look this one up and let's see what we find. Okay, I got sheep here. All right. Okay, go, which one do you have? Okay, well, go go with a goat. What it doesn't matter. A treasured animal. Okay. Okay. Okay, and it says that, uh, okay, d- d- go ahead. Right. Okay, so they just say it just symbolizes the unrighteous, okay? Or irresponsible leadership, okay? All right, what is sheep? What do you have for sheep? Do you have anything similar to what she just read, Stephen? Okay, well, okay, that's more interpretive there. They're saying that the church is described as sheepfold. Okay, maybe, all right. Um, in this commentary, they say sheep symbol, or this uh, dictionary, sheep symbolizes people without leadership and unity, scattered like sheep without a shepherd, innocent people not deserving of punishment, helpless, facing slaughter and death, God's people, are his sheep enjoying his protection and listening to his voice? Uh, someone do, a, uh, do me a favor. Look at Psalm. I'm going to give you a, a bunch of verses in Psalm. Someone look at Psalm 78. Psalm 78 and look at verse 52. And his own people. What's the context that's being referenced there? Is that a reference to Israel? I mean, I'm pretty sure it is, but is there any way to prove that? Okay. Yeah, that, that doesn't really offer anything. Okay, there we go. Then that's clearly referencing Israel, right? And then 52. Okay, so Israel, So in 78.52, Israel's clearly connected to sheep. How about Psalm 95.7? Psalm 95.7. Psalm 95.7. 
Okay, Does, is there anywhere there that would tell us that he's referencing possibly Israel there? I could be wrong. I'm just, I'm just trying my best to establish what... Well, that, that, that's definitely Israel. That's definitely Israel. All right. Yep. All right, Israel. All right, so, so make sure we write this down. Psalm 78.52 connects sheep with Israel. Psalm 95.7 connects Israel with uh, uh, sheep or sheep with Israel. Look at Psalm 103. Psalm chapter 100, verse 3. Psalm 100, verse 3. Okay, is there anything there that would make sure that it's Israel? So nothing definitive. Okay, nothing definitive. Okay, all right. But of course, I mean, obviously you're in Psalms. You're not referencing the church. Okay, but okay, but all right. Um, we could get into an argument there. All right. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think I think so, but uh, but since we cannot be dogmatic, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use it, okay? But we have Psalm seventy eight fifty two. There's no question. Psalm ninety five seven. There's no question. Uh, someone uh, go to Ezekiel thirty four and just kind of skim it. I know there's going to be a lot there, and just see what we find in Ezekiel thirty four. Uh, yeah, oh, good point. That's a good point, Stephen. I didn't even think about that. The lectionary reading today, the Old Testament, is Ezekiel 34. That's a good point. Just kind of skim and see if you see anything about sheep, goats. It. Okay, is that, is, okay, is that clearly Israel, right? Okay, yeah, clearly. All right, so Israel. So then once again, Ezekiel 34 connects sheep with Israel. All right, so I think we're getting somewhere close there, right? Okay, all right. All right, but but still, uh, you have sheep, and clearly it's connected with Israel. There's no question about it. All right, so we have a couple of passages that make that obvious. Now, if I look up goat in this one... um, Okay, they just say this. Sheep uh, and goats gazed in the same pasture, but it was necessary to separate the herds because the male goat was often hostile towards the sheep. So there was a reason to do it. They don't really go, um, they don't really go into too much there. They don't offer too much. So with sheep, though, we could dogmatically assert that sheep definitely definitely are connected to Israel in the Old Testament. No question about it. Goats, we have a little bit more problem with. Probably we could do a little bit more work, but I don't want to take up an entire hour trying to figure it out, right? Because we could do what? What's something we could do? Look up the word goats or goat, and I bet you it's used. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's used to sacrifice the scapegoat, right? So, but I mean, we would be looking for references for weeks probably, right? So, because most of them are going to be just a reference to the animal itself, right? So to find the, the symbolic one, sheep is much easier to find. So I'm, that's not super helpful, right? We do know nations references, we think that references Gentiles. We do know sheep and goats are here to draw at least a distinction between the two, 
right? Now let's see what else we can find here. All right. So, and, uh, and before him, he gathered all the nations and he, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Now please note if nations is ethnos, right? And deals with ethnicity or an ethnic group, then it sounds like if he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, that they are going to be separated somehow by this maybe ethnic, ethnic division, possibly, right? A Jew from a Gentile, right? Possibly. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm, 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 I'm trying to work through it. All right. Now look at verse 33. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. We do know the right hand is usually a position of honor, position, power, right? There's something good about being on the right hand. The left is bad. So sheep and goat, the goat is obviously being seen as something negative. The sheep is being seen as something positive. Clearly, the nations, the ethnic groups are being separated and one's going to be on the right, one's going to be on the left, one is going to be called a sheep, one's going to be called a goat. So far, so good. Verse 34, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. A kingdom prepared. Go to the book of Acts. Go to the book of Acts. I believe chapter one, because his disciples, I think, ask him about something uh, happening at that time. Acts chapter 1, see if you can find it. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Did he just say the kingdom? Did he say anything else? Okay. The kingdom to Israel. A kingdom to Israel. All right? This is about a kingdom to Israel. Yes? Agreed? All right. So this means Israel is looking for a kingdom. We know that's true. That happens throughout the entire New Testament, does it not? They're looking for a king. They're looking for a kingdom. They're looking for whom to be removed. The Romans. They think there's a kingdom coming. That's... That's an issue throughout the entire Bible, right? Go all the way. Let's see if we can find it. Look in Matthew and, 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 and the promise that when the angel shows up to kind of give the prophecies of Jesus being born and in Luke, see if any of them mentions him as being a king, a throne, anything along those lines. Look in the kind of the nativity narratives about, you know, that we may sometimes reference during Christmas that may reference the kingdom or Jesus being a king in Matthew 1 or in Luke, somewhere in the first two chapters of Luke. See what you can find. See if we can continue to build this concept. Okay, the wise men are looking for a king. What verse? Okay, Matthew 2, 2. All right, so see, so clearly there's a king here, right? And so we understand there is a king that they're looking for, all right? 
right? There we go. What verse is that? What, what book? Luke chapter 1, verse 32. He's going to give unto him the throne of his father David. This is a king. This is a throne. And reign over whom? The house of Jacob. What was Jacob's name? Israel. There we go. This is clearly, there's no question about it. So whenever we think about a kingdom, we think about a kingdom in reference primarily to whom? Israel. Do we have to? I know the all-millennialists will lose their minds right now. No, 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 no. It's the church. It's the church. It's the church. Okay, we've been through that a million times. We're not going to go through that again today. So let's go back to Matthew 25. Now we're getting somewhere. I'm not saying we're perfect somewhere, but we're getting somewhere, okay? All right, so let's go through this again slowly. All right, everybody ready? When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him and shall set upon the throne of his glory. We believe, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blame Sarah for this. Sarah Danzler believes that because she's coming with his angels, this connects it to Revelation chapter 19. And I believe, because it uses the word throne, it connects it to Revelation chapter 20. All right? So me and Sarah are claiming, right, at least for us, that this connects this judgment possibly as being timed somewhere between Revelation 19 and Revelation 20. We're not dogmatic, but at least that's our, our working theory, okay? Then the next verse... And before him shall be gathered all nations. The fact that it uses nations, we, know, we, def, we can be dogmatic about this. The nation seems to re- reference somehow ethnic groups of some sort, primarily referencing Gentile nations, which would be distinguished from Israel. All right? So, so And then from these groups, he's going to separate them a sh- uh, sheep from goats. And we can dogmatically claim that the, New Test- the Old Testament frequently connects whom to uh, sheep? Israel. All right? So that would mean Israel, that ethnic group, the Jews, are distinguished from the Gentiles, which are the goats. Correct? Then he's going to put whom on the right? The sheep, which may be a position of honor. I think you could say Israel seems to be giving lots of promises about a position of honor. Yes? I think we can agree with that. And the goats are in a position on the left hand, which is not one of honor. Then Jesus immediately in his story says this, Then shall he, the king say unto them on his right hand, The right hand then could be whom? Israel. Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And we just looked at multiple verses that said, in fact, in Luke, that Jesus is going to sit upon the throne of David, his father, and rule over the house of Jacob, which is Israel. I don't know how you can ignore this. So are we getting somewhere close? I think, I think so. All right. For I was hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Now this is where it gets convoluted. This is where now we have a problem. So far, I feel like we're getting somewhere. I'm feeling hopeful. I'm feeling hopeful. Now I don't feel so hopeful. 
Why do I not feel hopeful as soon as I start reading that? Because that's not how Israel treated Jesus. So then what's going on here? Right? Is this based on how they treated Jesus? Well, let's, let's keep reading. So now I, 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 I'm going to be like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to be confused. And look what they, then shall the righteous answer to him saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? Right? So they're like, wait, when, when did we do these things? Right? Because, well, we, when did they do them? And then what does he say? All right? Uh, and then he, uh, he goes on to say, and the king answered, verily I say unto you, insomuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now, right there, the word brethren. Don't you think that's a key word here? All right, how's the NIV? Does it use the word brethren? Brothers, Brothers all right, well. Brothers of mine, mine, all right. Let's let's look up the word brethren and let's see what we find. What verse is that? 40? I'm not going to say this is going to help us, but we're going to try. We're going to try. We're going to try. It is this Greek word. You ready? Strong's G80, Adelphos. 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 Um, It's used 346 times. Brethren, 226. Brother, 113. Brother, 6. And brother's way, 1. Strong's definition, um, uh, it basically, uh, a brother literally or figuratively, near or remote. That's not much help, is it, right? Uh, here we go. Let's see. Here's the outline of biblical usage. You ready? A brother, whether born of the same two parents or only of the same father or mother, having the same, are you ready for this? National ancestor, belonging to the same people or countryman. Oh, now stop right there. If we go with that, what would Jesus be referencing then? Nation of Israel, Jews. However, here's the problem. The word can also refer to any fellow or man. It can also refer to a fellow believer united to another by the bond of affection and associate in employment or office. Brethren in Christ. So this could refer to what then? Least of my brethren could refer to Israel, anyone, (laughs) or believers. Wow, don't you love that when it comes to hermeneutics? So guess what we have to do? We have to look for other clues because brethren in and of itself is not sufficient. So when we take this and we connect it with what? Sheep, which is connected to Israel, a kingdom that is prepared for them, which seems to connect it to Israel. Jesus being a Jew, brothers of mine, I, I'm not saying it, listen, what, typically in hermeneutics, one piece of evidence is not sufficient. You have to group all of the evidence together. I feel that we're going in a decent direction. I can't be dogmatic with Israel, I think. I think, right? right? So then, how you've treated your fellow Jews, right? But then look what happens, okay? So, what does it say unto the left hand? Those on the left. 
Those on the left, we think, are the Gentile nations, correct? And then what does he say? Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and the angels, for I was hungered. And guess what? This would then, how they treated Israel. Now, the only problem with this is what now? This is where it gets complicated. Because this would be determining someone's salvation based off what? How they treated Israel. And I don't know about... See, I... I I'm like, I don't know. Why? Why does it have to be everlasting fire? Why does it have to be everlasting fire? All right, so are you ready for a new interpretation? That's very much related to one of the ones we've already looked at. We can agree that we think, we think this judgment has something to do with how Gentile nations treated Israel. We feel that that's at least somewhat in the ballpark, right? Right, because everything else seems to fall apart. Nothing else seems to work. Well, so then what, what could be, I'm just, I, are you ready for this? Well, I'm going to pull up some notes here. Guess where we're going to go. Uh, I wanted to spend uh, at least both hours on this and we haven't gotten to it once. So I'm going to introduce it here. All right. Are you ready? Let me find this. We're going to go to the Schofield reference Bible because Schofield spends a lot of time on judgments. Okay. In fact, Schofield believes that there are seven judgments. And his notes, just as he, imagine he picks the number seven, right? Okay, are you shocked by that? No, I'm not. All right, so he's got seven. Everything is seven. And he, just like he does with the dispensations, he traces the seven judgments throughout all the different pages and his notes. And I'm looking at the 1917 one, right? So let's do a little bit of work here, right? I'm going to start on page 1,133 is where I'm going to start. All right. Um, I'm in the book of John. Now, he, this is where he kind of starts. Uh, John chapter 12. But well, I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to stay here. I'm just, I'm just saying this is kind of where he starts because he has this note on page 1133, John chapter 12. He says this, the seven judgments. Then he begins to outline the judgments. I wanted to start there for us to work through them. We're going to have to do it at a different time. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to jump to page uh, 1036 and guess where I'm going to end up? Matthew 25. Matthew 25. All right. Matthew 25. Guess what passage? 31 to 46. All right. Okay. Now this, are you ready for this? This is what Schofield has in his notes. Everybody ready? Matthew 25, 31 through 46. He calls this the Olivet Discourse. Now listen, this is what he has in, uh, written right here above the passage. The Lord's return test the Gentile nations. Everybody see that? 
And guess what he has in parentheses? Joel chapter 3, 11 through 16. So turn to Joel chapter 3, 11 through 16, and tell me what you find. Joel 3. Tell me what you discover. Oh, judgment on Israel's enemies. All right. That's everybody. See Joel chapter three, starting in verse 11. Okay. What do you see there that would possibly make you think Matthew 25, 31 through 46? Is there something jump out at you? Okay. All right. Let's look at this. What verse are you uh, at? Okay. Verse, uh, that's Joel three, two. All right. Um, hang on, I'm looking here. All right. That's good that you went back to the beginning. I'll go back to verse one. For behold, the days in that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations. Okay, that sounds familiar. And will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. He's going to go after these nations for what? For how they've done, how they've treated his people, right? Or am I misreading it? Am I, do you feel that I'm accurate here? Okay, all right, I'm making sure. And they have cast lots for my people and have given a boy for a harlot and sold a girl for wine and they that made drink. In other words, the, thing, the things that they have done, correct? All right, now we can look at all of this. You can see the children also of Judah and the children of verse 6 have sold under the Grecians and you have removed them far from their border. Behold, I will raise them out of the place whether you have sold them and will return your recompense upon your own head. Hey, you did these things to my people. Recompense is coming against you. Everybody see that? And what does it say in verse 8? I will sell your sons and your daughters uh, into the hand of the children of Judah and they shall sell them to the Sabians, to people far off, and the Lord hath spoken it. Then look at verse 9. Prepare ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty man. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all you heathen. Gather yourselves together round about a thither, because thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Everybody see that? Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get ye down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitude, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. What does that sound like? Revelation, does it not? You could argue maybe it sounds a little bit like uh, Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, but we could, okay. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion, utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of the people and the strength of the children of Israel. In other words, who's going to be protected in all of this? Israel. Who's going to be judged? The nations. Schofield believes 
That is what Matthew 25, 31 through 46 is about. Now, let's go read his note. Let's go read his note, though. All right? Everybody got that? All right, here we go. Are you ready? It's right above verse 31. He has it right above there, verse 31. Okay. All right. Now, everybody ready for the... I'm going to read his note at the bottom. Are you ready? Here we go. This is Schofield, 1917. The judgment, this judgment, what judgment? The Matthew 25, 31 through 46. This judgment is to be distinguished from the judgment of the great white throne. Stop right there. This is important language. As soon as you read those words, what is Schofield doing? As soon as I read that first sentence, what is he doing? Well, he's, he's, he, according to Schofield, that means there is more than one judgment. Remember, within church history, there's been much debate. If we read the creeds, they seem to just describe how many judgments. Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. One judgment. Okay, everybody got that? So there's the one judgment view that is predominant, that is, that is very much has a rich history in church history. Schofield is like, no, there, there can't be just one. And the reason he believes there can't be just one is he's going to use this one in Matthew 25 to go, this one is clearly different than the great white throne. Where does the great white throne judgment happen? Well, what book is it recorded in? Revelation, right? Find it in the book of Revelation. Just find it. It's end of chapter 20, is it not? Starting at verse 11. Okay, just keep, your, keep that open. All right? Let's see what he says. Everybody ready? The judgment, this judgment, Matthew 25, is to be distinguished from the judgment of the great white throne. Here there is no resurrection. The persons judged are living nations, No books are opened. Three classes are present. Sheep, goats, brethren. The time is at the return of Christ. And the scene is on the earth. Those are all the identifying factors that he points out in Matthew 25. Let me go through those again. Are you ready? All right. There appears to be no resurrection from... uh, resurrection in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. It's not about anyone being resurrected. Go to Revelation and the great white throne. Does it appear to be some kind of resurrection occurring? All right, all right, the dead. So there seems to be some resurrection. See the difference? Okay, all right, hang on. Uh, uh, Here there is no resurrection. The persons judged are living nations. Go to Matthew 25. It's nations that are being judged, right? Not dead people. Okay, all right. Uh, There are are no books mentioned in uh, Matthew 25. Are there books mentioned in Revelation? Yes, all right. There are three classes present in Matthew 25. There are sheep, goats, and brethren. Is that all Matthew 25? We've already read that, right? The time seems to be at the return of Christ. Look at Matthew 25, 31. Does it not be that it happens at the return of Christ? All right, comes in his glory, all right? And uh, does it not appear to be happening on earth? 
He's coming on his glory, right? If he's coming... At, uh, but he's coming, right? So, I mean, he wouldn't have to come if, he's our, if it, the judgment's happening in heaven, right? Does that make sense? Okay, all right. All these particulars are in contrast with Revelation 20, 11 through 15. The test in this judgment is the treatment accorded by the nations to those whom Christ here calls my brethren. Can we at least agree on that much? That the judgment is based off how these people have treated what he refers to as my brethren. We can at least agree there. Now, this now this is where Schofield interprets this. These brethren are the Jewish remnant who will have preached the gospel of the kingdom to all the nations during the tribulation. Now, there he tries to get very very specific. I'm not a big fan of this approach, but I know what he's trying to do, right? He's trying to at least identify who the brethren are here. Um, He says the test and Revelation 20, 11 through 15, is the possession of eternal life. And then that's where he stops. He doesn't offer us much more. Now, here's the question. We, We got a real challenge in front of us here. Okay? I do believe this has to be different than the great white throne. I am convinced of that. I don't think there's any way to make those two work. I think they're so too different, all right? So, I do believe Matthew 25. I'm going to go with this. I, I, I think it is a judgment upon the Gentile nations. I don't think there's any way to get around. I don't know how else you can get around it. And it seems to be based on how they have treated Israel. Now, where we find our problem is what happens to them, correct? So go back to Matthew 25 and look at the specific language used in the judgment section. Oh, there's no question. There's no question. But look at... Matthew 25, and look at the specific language. Let's, let's write down the specific indicators of what happens in this judgment. What is the first reference to judgment that he gives the uh, people, the goats, on his left hand? What does he say to them? Call, calls them to the left hand, okay. Depart from me. All right, so, so there's a separation, okay. They're cursed, okay. Ah, see, that's where the problem is. Yeah. Uh, There's no way to get around it. Ah, that is so problematic. That is so problematic. Because what you kind of want to try to do, this is at least the thinking, all right? If this judgment occurs between Revelation 19 and 20, right? 
So in 19, he comes back. Go back, go to 19. And the language used there is just one of death, right? That happens to the people in Revelation 19 when he comes back with a sword out of his mouth and he just, people just get killed, right? It's just death and destruction. Yeah. He makes war. That sounds like Joel more than it does uh, Matthew 25. Yeah, see, so going after the nations, it fits so well because okay, it deals more with their physical death. Okay, doesn't really talk about like hell in Matthew nine uh, Revelation. Okay. Oh, okay. So do we have burning fire showing up? All right. So, all right. Okay. So let me, let me just try to explain the thinking process here, right? What some people do, almost most everyone agrees. Well, I, I should take that back. Many agree that Matthew 25 must be separated from the great white throne and other judgments mentioned in the Bible because of its unique features and its unique actions and things that happen. It's very different than any other judgment, all right? So, so what, what we try to do is, and how do we understand it? So a common thing to do is to say, this is a judgment upon the nations to determine who enters into the millennial kingdom. Now, that's okay if you say, okay, these get to come into the millennial kingdom. That's fine. But clearly those who don't come into the millennial kingdom are going where? They're going, they, they go to hell. You ha- There's no way to get around that, right? There's no way to get around that. So you either come into the millennial kingdom or you are going to go to hell. There's just no way around. There's just no way. Now, uh, those who he... Because look at the distinguishing mark. Those who get to enter in, where does he say enter into? The the positive things he says to the sheep. He says, enter to the kingdom I've prepared for you, right? Yeah, so they're going to inherit the kingdom. That's entering into the millennial kingdom. And those who have mistreated Israel incorrectly, they don't enter into the millennial kingdom. They go to where? They go to the lake of fire. They, 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 they suffer. Now, clearly, we want to make it a workspace system. I know we want to make it a workspace system. It's hard not to make it a workspace system. The only thing I can say is clearly they're, they're, just, they're not saved. Clearly, they're not saved. I'm not saying that their actions prove it. I'm just saying clearly they're not saved. End of story. It's, it's, I mean, if you're going to end up in the lake of fire, you're obviously not saved, right? I, that's, that's the only thing I can assert. I, I, I do believe we have to put it, I mean, if you take the Joel passage, you take the Matthew 25 passage, and you put Revelation 19 there, clearly there seems to be that there's going to be a horrible judgment coming upon whom? The heathens, the, the Gentile nations. And it has something to do with how they've treated Israel. I don't know how else. 
I think that's the only way we I don't know what else we can do with it, right? I don't know what else we can do with it because anything else I say, I think falls apart. So I'm going to, this is how I'm going to summarize it, all right? This is how I'm, because we're running out of time. So I'm going to try to do my cliff note version is Matthew 25, 31 through 46 speaks of a judgment that will come upon Gentile nations or the Gentiles as a ethnic group for how they have treated Israel. And it seems to be connected with who will enter into the millennial kingdom. And those who have treated Israel in an incorrect way will end up where? Judged. Yeah, I'm just going to say judged. Lake of fire, judged. And the sheep, which seem to be Israel, right? God has come down to their defense. He's destroying the enemies, separating them from their enemies, and they will enter into the kingdom to have peace, prosperity, and all the blessings that have been promised to them over and over and over in the book of, in the Bible, right? Over and over and over. You're going to dwell with me. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. Remember, he talks about how the land is going to have all the fruit. There's going to be peace. No one's going to bother you. It's going to be wonderful. Okay? You're not going to need to be taught. Every, you're going to obey me. It's going to be just wonderful. Well, the only way to make it wonderful is you're going to have to get rid of a lot of people. Right? And that's what happens here. Now, I know what this leads to. This leads to a major problem. What problem does this lead to, Sarah? Well, what happens at the end of the thousand years? <laughs> so, where are the messed up people? So, the only thing I can ever, the only thing I can ever come up with is that once again, what does it demonstrate? That even if you remove the wicked. Right? The, or, let me say, even if you remove the unbeliever and you put all the believers in a beautiful kingdom where Christ is ruling and reigning on the throne for a thousand years, what's going to happen during that thousand years? A thousand years of Christ literally ruling and reigning in heaven will not, or ruling uh, on earth right, from his throne, will not eradicate the sinful nature that the sinful nature will still not do what? To submit to God, even with him sitting on the throne, visibly present. If there's anything that should destroy the lordship salvation view, that, that should do it. That should do it. Because that means even after a thousand years, what's going to happen? There's going to be a rebellion. Yeah, now, obviously, those are the children that are being born during the millennial kingdom. And any, maybe some of the people who entered in, who at first, you know, they, they're good. But I don't know what you do there. I don't know what happens. I'm, it's not an easy answer, I know. Look, to, let, let's make it very clear. Anyone who comes along and goes, oh, it's so simple. Just stop it. It's not simple. This is conv- complicated. But, I, but I, I, I think, Sarah, you've expressed it. I know I've expressed it. I'm, I'm as confused as you are when you get to the end of the thousand years and you're like, what is happening here? Like, why? Like, why, 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 why? But, but it just screams the reality of d- depraved nature. That I don't care how, in other words, you can per- put people in the most, and, and to, to be honest, it's really not a shock, is it? 
Because did the same thing, Christ, did not God dwell in the midst of Israel? And what did they do? They rebelled. They rebelled. So, so no matter how many times God, God constantly demonstrates that you can put people in the absolute best spiritual situation and what will still manifest itself over and over and over. The sinful nature. And then whenever the sinful nature is manifest, we all go, but we shouldn't be so shocked because it's literally what happens over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And it's going to play out where? Even at the end of time, because all of these people who are going to be judged and separated and thrown into the lake of fire, that's still not going to fix the sinful nature of the people who enter into the kingdom. And so guess what? When, when will the problem finally be resolved? Uh, ultimately, when the great right throne and everyone is put into hell and the believers then are transformed, are, and then guess what? Glorification. Because until the sinful nature is eradicated, we will play out the Garden of Eden over and over and over and over and over. And, and well, in some ways, that's even more complicated because they didn't even have a sinful nature. Okay? But they had the potential. And glorification, that potential will be removed because now we'll have, we won't just be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a good example. Yeah, we'd play out Cain and Abel over and over. That's a better way of stating it. So I, I, don't, I don't have that. Now, what we need to do, and we don't have time now, is I wanted to go through all the seven judgments that Schofield puts forward to give us a better understanding of this perspective. Because once you tell me that there's a difference between two, well, I know there's far more judgment passages than those two. So then what do we do with all the other judgment passages? So we will work, at whenever the appropriate time is, we will work through at least the seven judgments of Schofield, because that's what I wanted to do today. But I wanted us to at least see. Now, I, I'm not saying we fixed Matthew 25, but I know this. We spent two hours doing what? We went through every possible. We, we tried. We tried our best. So you, you've got a good starting point. And, and you say, well, what, what's the clear application for us? Well, the clear application is Christ will come. There will be a judgment. And clearly, it seems, how Israel is treated will at least have a play a part in this judgment. There we go. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. Lord, I don't know if we completely understand Matthew 25, but we spent two hours doing as much as we could to try to understand it. Forgive us for where we have misunderstood, but Lord, it is a very difficult thing to, it's a very difficult thing, Lord, to try to comprehend that our sinful nature is so depraved and so wicked that even with you on the throne, we would still rebel against you. We would still rise up to try to remove you from that throne and to, re, to place ourselves upon it. Lord, we would hope that our sinful nature would not do that, but the reality is that nature has been in man. It's still in us, and it will be until glorification. Help us be more aware of how sinful we really are and be willing to admit that, because if we don't, we're only deceiving ourselves. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...